Good to see you out there. You have a good Christmas? Yes. yes, all right. Christmas is my birthday, all right? I share it with Jesus, but don't get many presents, but it's okay, all right? Uh, hey, uh, probably about 20 years ago, I, I've been married for 53 years, and about 20 years ago, I asked my wife, uh, we were coming back from the beach, and I just asked her, I, I said, if you were going to uh, rate the success or the excellence of our marriage on a scale one to 10, 10 being great, one being you're going to get rid of me next week, uh, where would you put that? And I, I'm really feeling good. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, I'll be humble, say nine and a half, but it's probably higher than that type of thing. And uh, I'm just waiting for her to say something like that, the same thing. And she thinks for a minute and she goes, uh, a six maybe a six and a half on certain days. And, and I, I'm just telling you, I'm, my ego just like dropped at that point. Uh, and I don't necessarily recommend you doing that, all right? Uh, but, you know, obviously that led into a conversation, okay, well, how can I get my score up and, and so forth? What would look like success? So over these past years, she's been working on me, telling me those particular things. But uh, what I realized there is something that you might have heard before. I remember a friend telling me this, that success equals meeting expectations. Success equals meeting expectations. Now, you can look at that in a personal way in your own life. Uh, when you go through life, what is successful for you? Are you meeting the expectations for that? But when you're in a marriage or you're working for somebody, or you have a, you're in a class and you have a professor. Success might not be meeting your expectations. Success might be meeting the expectation of your spouse or of your boss or of your professor. You know, I get, as a professor, I get papers in and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, they're, they're not going after a D. I, I, I think they're probably go, trying for an A. And I try to tell them all the things that I'm expecting to happen in this paper, but I don't always get that. And, and then they'll tell me, well, you know, I'm an A student. Well, not now, all right? We need to work on this, but here's the expectations that I have. And, and, I, and I tell the students, you know, just as a learning experience, when you're in a job and, and you need to find out from your boss what he or she is expecting out of you because you might think you're getting, doing a great job and all of a sudden you're, you're being let go because you're not meeting the expectations that your boss has for you or your manager has for you or your professor has for you or your spouse has for you. So you need to find that out. For Christmas this year, my wife and I decided to give one another a puppy, all right? A joint puppy and we didn't get two. But it's, it's been probably about 30 years since we had a dog in our house. We, we thought we would raise kids instead for a while. And, but uh, it, my dog, my new puppy, has certain expectations. And they're different from my expectations. Uh, he kind of feels like the whole world is a place to go to the bathroom. Uh, he feels he should be able to chew on anything that he comes in contact with. And, and, you know, in, in preparing for this puppy, uh, my wife and I were reading books and we're reading, you know, Caesar Milan and watching his shows, on, you know, learning all the skills and so forth. Because uh, my wife said, we are going to have an obedient dog. 
All right, if we're going to make it sit, it's going to sit, it's going to do this, and this. we're going to go to obedient classes. Yes, dear. Okay, meeting expectations. Uh, we'll do all that, but I'm, I'm finding that the expectations that I have for my dog and my wife has for, for our dog are not the same that the dog has. And we're going to bring him into submission and learn the expectations what we have. At least we hope. That's our prayer, and that's what we're working at, you know. I, I take him out every hour, take him out a half, half an hour after he eats. I think I'm okay, okay, I'll let him play a little bit. And, and he sees a, a, a throw rug, and, and I thought you just took care of that outside. And then I'm, I'm a person that likes to get things done really quick. You know, if we're, we're going to a restaurant, let's let's. Take, Order right away. Let's not wait for drinks and so forth. Let's just order right away because I'm hungry and I'm ready to eat. In fact, put the bill on the table as soon as you figure this all out so I can get out of here quick because I'm here to eat. All right. I know you ladies don't think this way, but you know, guys get in that eating mode and that's what we're thinking at that point. I don't want a long prayer before we're going to eat. We're not, we'll pray at another time. We're here to eat, okay? <laughs> Let, let's get down to the food. Don't call me the table unless it's on the table ready to go. All right, and, and when I take the dog out, I'm like, do your business and let's get inside. Because if you've noticed the past couple days, it's been raining. I, this was not in our plan for going outside. So, you know, I have to raincoat. And if, if it's five o'clock in the morning, have the flashlight there. And come on, dog, do your thing. And he wants to sniff around and bite every leaf and, and so forth. Different expectations. Different expectations. But when, when you think about it as well, uh, God has certain expectations for us. He has certain expectations. And, and we need to kind of find out what they are because if we're doing our thing and it's not what he is expecting, we might be in trouble at the end. And when you get to my age, you know you're closer to the end and you want to really cram for the final. All right, I want to pass this thing. I don't want to stand before him on judgment day and then find out that I, I did all these things that I thought I was getting an A on and he has a whole different score for me. So I want to make sure that I'm fulfilling his expectations along that line. And so what are those expectations? What are those, what are those regulations and obligations that he gives us as Christ followers? And that's what I want to talk about today, that we have certain responsibilities as a Christ follower. Now, now, let me say this, first of all, when, when it, to come to Christ, we're never going to meet expectations by ourselves. all right? The Pharisees tried to do that in biblical times. They, they believed that if they followed all these rules, they're going to be okay. And we will, we will never meet the expectation to become a Christ follower of God on our own. We need God. You know, he only expects 100 from us, and a 95 is not good enough for him. He wants perfection. And so that's why he sent his son who could do that. And as we put our faith in him, by grace, what Christ did becomes ours. So the hundred that Jesus got becomes our hundred. And so by grace, we get in. Expectations, works, relationships like that are not going to get us in. And, and we've got to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But once we become that Christ follower, he does have certain expectations for us. You know, in, in Matthew chapter uh, 5 in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your light show sign before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul wrote to the, the church of Philippi in chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, he says, therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation. And then he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So in other words, God now, through having Christ in our life, we can fulfill the expectations that he has for us. We can do certain good works, all right, as we, we put Christ in our life. Paul said in, in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. So God is the one helping us, and his blood always covers us even when we come up short. But he's expecting something from us on this side of salvation. He's expecting for us to fulfill certain obligations and expectations, right? In, in Matthew 25, he says what? I, I, I was hungry, and you didn't do anything. I had some expectations there. He said, I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was, I was in jail, and you didn't come and visit me. I was sick, you didn't come and see me. And, and, and the people said, well, when did we, we not do this? And he says, as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it to me. But he also says, I was hungry and you, you fed me. I was, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and came and you visited me. Well, when we do that, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. So he's expecting something from us as a believer. So it's our responsibility as Christ followers to find out what those expectations are. And I want to talk about three of those today. You know, uh, there is things in, in the Gospel of Luke that he writes there to help us to understand, actually in all the Word of God. But I'm thinking particularly in the 10th chapter of Luke, there are what I see, three expectations or three responsibilities that God wants us to fulfill in this life. Three obligations that we have as a Christ follower. When, when I teach a class at Southeastern called Jesus and the Gospels, and one of the assignments that they have to do in that class is, is write a paper on a parable. And I lay out what my expectations are in that, but one of my expectations are, tell me the theme of the chapter in which you find the parable. Is there a theme? For instance, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, the first couple of verses, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law come and ask his disciples, why is your master doing that? Those people are unclean. Those people are sinners. And in response, Jesus tells three parables, which carry a theme. He talks about a person who had 99 sheep and one, 100 sheep, one went astray, and he left the 99 to go after that one. And when he found that one, he called his friends together and they celebrated and had a party because he found that lost one. Immediately after that, there's a parable of a woman who had 10 coins and loses one. She turns her house inside out to find where that, that one coin is. And when she finds it, she calls her friends together and says, we need to celebrate because I found my lost coin. And then immediately following that in that chapter, there's a parable of a lost son who leaves his father, wants his inheritance, goes off, squanders his money. The father every day is looking over the horizon to see him come back. And when he sees him coming back, he runs to him and he, he gives him a robe and he puts the, the signet ring of the family on his finger. He gives him sandals and he calls for a, a celebration because that which is lost is found. And so Jesus is trying to tell these Pharisees that are questioning, why does he eat with tax, and sinners, tax collectors and sinners? This is what my ministry is all about, seeking after lost people. And when we find them, we celebrate that because that which is lost is found. That which is dead is now alive. 
So in chapter 10, we have some, some things that fit together in telling us certain responsibilities that we have as a Christ follower. The first one is this, that as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to share our faith with other people. Look at verses 1 to 3, and then verse 16. It actually is all the first 24 verses, but I just want to look at these particular verses. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 elders and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. He's not talking about wheat. He's talking about people that he wants to bring into the kingdom. And he says, go, I am sending you out like lamb among wolves. And then in verse 16, he says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me also rejects him who sent me, my father. And so we have a responsibility, he's saying, to go out and share our faith with others. One thing we're supposed to do, it's important for us. Let me give you an example of, of, of how God at times will give us opportunities to do this. I'm not one that, that can do what we call cold call evangelism. I can't walk up to a stranger and say, you know, if you die tomorrow, do you know where you're going to go? I'm not good at that type of thing. I've seen people that are gifted in that area, but that's not me. I'm an introvert. I'm a little bit reserved. I'd rather talk to somebody out of a relationship or something like that. But I have seen times in my life where God has just given an opportunity to share my faith that's right in front of me. And the Holy Spirit has prompted me to respond in that situation. Before I came to Southeastern, I pastored. And, and one of the things that we would do periodically is we would do what we'd call a prayer walk. And on a Saturday morning, I, I'd call, i tell volunteers what we're going to do. I said, we're going we're to go out two by two into your neighborhood where you live and just walk around the block and knock on every door, all right? And, and you're not going to carry some sort of gospel track or anything like that. You're going to say this. You say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm your neighbor. I live down the street. I attend Valley Christian Assembly. And we're on a prayer walk. And we would just like to know if you have anything that you, you need prayer for, because we would love to pray for you today. In fact, uh, we will even write it down, and we'll continue that particular thing. Craig talked about, you know, putting in your request on the, on the sheets that went by today. And, 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 you know, that every Thursday they pray for those needs. And, and you get people say, well, I'm a Jehovah Witness. Great, you probably believe in prayer. Let's pray for this. Or I'm a Mormon. Hey, that doesn't matter. You probably believe in prayer. We just want to pray. And I would tell the people before they go out, uh, you know, we're a Pentecostal church, but I don't want you speaking in tongues when you're out there. I don't want you praying in the King James language. I don't want you shouting, you know, loud, these loud prayers. I don't want you praying for at the maximum more than two minutes. I want it to be a very low-key conversational prayer that you will pray for me. It might only be 30 seconds, right? But just pray for the people. And all you're communicating to them is that you that we're a praying church and you like to pray for them. I said, I don't want you to give them a gospel tract then we leave. I don't want you to even invite them to the church. You're just saying, we're on a prayer walk. We believe in prayer. We're at this church and, and we'd like to pray for you. But write down their request so you can follow up later and say, hey, how's that situation going? You know, email me if you want to pray more or something along that line. But I also told them this, that there will be times when the door is wide open to share your faith. 
that somebody will be amazed at the fact that you're, you're on this prayer walk and they'll want to know more about the God that you serve. Let me give you another example. One of our professors at the university, Dr. Uh, Gordon Miller, who's the dean of our, our School of Honors, uh, on Friday nights, he's for years tried to get some students to, let's do a Bible study. And, and on Friday nights, the students said, well, come over at 9 o'clock at night. Now, I, I give a lot of credit to Dr. Miller because that's getting near my bedtime. All right? And so 9 o'clock at night, he has a Bible study. He says, I don't lead it. I'm just one of the participants. And we're going through the book of James. But he said, Bill, I got to tell you this story. Just a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys, his, his part-time job, his boss called him in to fire him to let him go. And really, they were just cutting back. The guy was doing his work and, and so forth, but they just had to make some cuts. And there was the HR manager in there and another manager in there. And he said, when they told the, the, the young boy this particular situation, at the end, the, the, the man said, hey, would it be okay? The student said this. Would it be okay if I just pray for you guys? I know this is difficult to let people go, and I would just like to pray for you. He just did a simple prayer. Again, no speaking in tongues, nothing crazy, no you know, loud screaming or anything like that, but just a simple prayer. And as he was leaving, his boss said, could you tell me more about your faith? And this young man was able to lead his, his boss to the Lord to give him a salvation message. Now, there's times that God opens up doors like that in your life, and it's our responsibility to step into that. We're not all missionaries called to go some field that we can go out and, 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 and share our faith because that might not be our personality. But there are situations that maybe a neighbor is going through a difficult time and, or maybe somebody's sick and, and that you know and you would just say, and you don't know whether they're a believer or not, and you say, hey, can I just pray for you? And they might ask, can you tell me more about your faith? We have a responsibility to share our faith. Well, as we read on in Luke chapter 10, there's another story here. It's a story that probably most of you know. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting with verse 25, it says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This expert was not a lawyer in the sense that we know, but a lawyer who knew the word of God. Most likely it was a scribe. And he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds back to him. I mean, you're a lawyer. What, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And, and the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, hey, you've answered correctly. Go do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, give me the limit on this neighbor thing. Tell me who my neighbor is so I can love them, but let's leave the rest of those people out. I don't want to go overboard on this. And in response to that, Jesus tells him this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is about a 17-mile trip, all right? You're going from the high mountain down to basically sea level, or actually below sea level, when he was attacked by robbers. This road was known to be dangerous because there's all sorts of switchbacks as you're going down, and people would hide a different place. And they stripped this man of his clothes. They beat him up and went away, leaving him half dead. And so a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by the, on the other side. But so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now, Levite is the tribe where all priests come from, the tribe of Levites. 
but not all Levites are priests. But if you are a male Levite man and you're not a priest, you still have a responsibility to, to serve one period every year in the temple. That's your responsibility. So both of these men are kind of holy men, but they're not scribes or they're not Pharisees. But then it says in verse 30 or 33, but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He was moved with compassion and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his donkey, he brought him to an inn. I don't know if that was a Holiday Inn or what, or a Holiday Inn Express, but you know, obviously it cost money, he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is a full day's wages, all right, each one. And he, brought, and he brought him to an inn, and, or, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, Samaritans were basically half-breeds, half Assyrian and half Jew. They were looked down as dirty as dogs by Jewish people. You didn't want to have relationships with them. You would think the people that would help would be the priest or the Levite, who were good Jews. But this half-breed, actually, he's taking his, his life on the line because imagine him with this guy. Somebody might come along and see him and think that maybe he's the robber, right? He's taking a chance. And yet he reaches out. Why? Because this man has a need. Now, notice how Jesus responds to this in verse 36. He says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Who was a neighbor to the man? That was not the question that the man asked. He said, who is my neighbor? Jesus reversed the question and said, no, who was a neighbor to the man? You see, basically the parable is saying that the whole world is your neighbor. Who are you going to be a neighbor to? Who are you going to help out? Who was a neighbor to the man? And notice that this scribe could not even answer and say Samaritan. Instead, he says what? The one who had mercy on him because it's so disgusting him to even say that. And Jesus says this, go and do likewise. We are to be like the Good Samaritans. We are, we have a responsibility as Christ followers to serve people that in need. But a lot of times, I'm going to tell you, I'm like the, the priest and the Levite. You say, well, why didn't they help? Well, the priest, you know, has certain obligations. And if this guy was dead and he touched him, this man, as a priest, in order for him to serve again in the temple, he would have to go through a whole week of cleansing, right, in order to do that, to get well. Maybe he's thinking, too, that maybe this is a fake plot, and if I go over there, he's actually the robber, and he's going to get me. Maybe this is just a ploy to get me over there. And perhaps the Levite is thinking the same thing. But basically, both of them are asking the question, if I stop to help this person, what's going to happen to me? Have you ever had that thought? You see somebody in need and you get a little tug in your heart to do something, but then you have a second thought. If I stop to help this person, what's going to happen to me? You know, I'm in a hurry. I have an appointment. I got things to do when I get home. I don't have time to stop it. Somebody else will come along, but I don't have time to do this. I have another mission that I'm on. I have another responsibility. Something like this might even happen as you're on your way to church and you have certain responsibilities at church. And you're thinking, I have an appointment. I need to be there on time. And, and I'm, I'm thinking probably the priest and the Levite are thinking that. If I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But what does the Samaritan ask? If I don't stop to help this man, 
what's going to happen to him? You see, his thought is what's going to happen to the other person as opposed to what's going to happen to me. And I have to admit, there's been many times in my life that I've done that first one. If I stop to help this person, what are going to be the consequences to me? What is this going to cost me in regards to time or money or effort? What's going to happen to me? And yet God has given me a tug on my heart. Respond. Do something. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Or am I like that other guy? He was that way, and I didn't do anything. And God's saying, the expectation I have of you is not only to share your faith, but it's also to help those that are in need, anyone who is in need. Who are you going to be a neighbor to? The third responsibility I see in here comes at this last part of the chapter, just in these last verses, where you have the story of Mary and Martha. In in verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples uh, were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. If you study scripture, you'll find that Martha has a sister named Mary. She also has a brother named Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead on a certain occasion. And it says that she had a sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She, She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Now, we have to understand Jewish culture in here, that hospitality is a high tradition, it's a high responsibility in Jewish culture. When you see a stranger at the city square and they they don't have a place to go, you are to invite them in to take care of them. Even in Psalm 23, there's a part in that it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. That actually refers to hospitality back in that time. In the dry, arid land like Jerusalem was, oil is a precious commodity. It's like putting hand cream on when your hand dry out. I lived in Arizona in Phoenix for eight years, and I'm telling you, that's a dry climate. And it gets up to like 120 in the summertime, and it's hot. And everybody has dry skin, and you're always hand moisture. You'll always see people you know, putting it on and taking care of themselves. Same thing is going on in that culture. So you anoint somebody with oil, you give them refreshment. My cup runneth over. When you have a a guest in your house and you're pouring them a drink, you purposely pour more in there so it overflows. It's a sign of hospitality. And what you're saying to them is that as long as you're here, you're going to have an abundance. I'm going to take care of you. Your cup's going to be overflowing, right? It's kind of like going into the restaurants where, you know, your drink is empty and nobody's doing anything about it. And you're wondering about whether to tip. Or you go in another restaurant and if it's half full, they quickly come by and fill it to the top. Or they bring you another drink even before you're halfway done the other one. Which one impresses you more? The one that you're looking around that, you know, where's the waitress that I can get a drink here? Where's the server that I can get a drink here? as opposed to the one who's taking care of you all the time. And, th- and that's the idea that Jews had for hospitality. It was Hebrew understanding. So Martha was doing the right thing. And if I'm one of the disciples with Jesus again, you already know, I want food. And I hope Martha is preparing something. Mary, get in there and help her. Let's get the food on the table. I'm ready to go. And so Martha's thinking she's doing the one thing. And what does my lazy sister do? Jesus, why don't you tell her what Jewish traditions are and tell her to come and help me? And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, 
the Lord said. You are, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed well, but this one. Mary has chosen what is better. It would be taken and it will not be taken from her. What she was doing, she was practicing the model of a disciple sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, I struggle with this as well because I can so identify with Martha. If you're a guest at my house, I want to take care of you. And I might be in, you know, cleaning the table and, and washing the dishes and getting the next place out for dessert, uh, and, and I should be in the living room maybe talking with you. And my wife has to at times, hey, get in here. Be the host. Don't be the servant at this particular point. But it's the same thing with Jesus. How many of us have responsibilities and obligations and duties that take about our time that we have no time to sit at the feet of Jesus? Just maybe for 10 minutes, 15 minutes each day. Greg was talking about, you know, a plan of reading through the Bible. Ah, oh, that's nice, but I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to do that. You don't know how busy my schedule is. You don't know how loaded I am. I don't have time to pray. I mean, how can people get up and pray for a half an hour and read, read the Bible and go through the Bible? And I don't have, you don't know how busy my life is. I got a dog that got to go potty. And I got a job that I got to get to. You know, I have, I have things to do. We're being Martha when we go through that. And the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, there's times that we need to just sit down and be at the feet of Jesus. Maybe the busier our day, the more important it is to spend that time in prayer with God. And maybe he'll help us through the busyness of that day. One of my favorite authors is Henry Nouwen, and Henry died in 1996, but he was a Jesuit priest. He taught at Yale and Harvard and uh, Notre Dame, you know, struggling schools like that. And he wrote about 40 books, and I love them because they're all short. The, one of my favorite books is uh, The Living Reminder, 80 pages, right? Big print, won't take you long, more than an hour to read. But he said something in that book that rocked my world. On page 50 and 51 of that book, he said this. He said, Jesus didn't pull away from the crowd in the early morning hours or late at night to spend time with the Father in order to charge his batteries so he can go out and do ministry. Jesus didn't do that. And that went against everything I ever heard people tell me or disciple me with. Hey, you, you need to spend time with Jesus to charge your batteries so you can do ministry. And, and Henry was saying, no. Jesus pulled away to spend time with the Father because that was his ministry. He was obeying the greatest commandment. He was loving God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his mind. And when he did that, ministry naturally flowed out of him. But that was his number one obligation. And if we are Christ followers, following in his steps, it ought to be our number one obligation. So maybe this year we need to look over our schedule and say, where do I put in time that's sitting at the feet of Jesus? Yes, Luke's told us it's important to share our faith. People need to hear the gospel. We are called to do that. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And all I'm challenging you, I'm not in saying go be an evangelist. You need to witness to every stranger that you see. I'm not asking you to stand on the corner screaming with a microphone the word of God or something like that. I'm just saying in your natural relationships, right, with your neighbors, with maybe the people that you work with, acquaintances, when God tugs at your heart and say, go share your faith with them, here's an opportunity. Tell them how you have a God that loves all humanity. 
do it and just see what happens in that situation. Or when you see a person in need, maybe not asking that question or saying that question, if I stop to help this person, what's going to happen to me? Maybe reverse that, like the Good Samaritan. If I don't stop to help this person, what's going to happen to them? Notice he was, he was moved with compassion. He took pity on the man. God will do that with certain needs in our life that we'll see a need for that particular situation. And he'll say, okay, what are you going to do about it? And then last, don't let obligations and responsibilities that we have, things that we know that we should do, get in the way at setting aside just a small bit of time each day to sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe that's all you can start with. Just 10 minutes, sitting in a chair, no cell phone on, no TV on, just kind of thinking, maybe, maybe you go to one of those Bible reading plans and say, Lord, speak to me through this and do that and spend 10, maybe 20 minutes in doing that and see if it doesn't change your life. Because when we stand before the Father, he's going to measure us on what success is. What did you do with the faith that you had? What did you do? When there was a need, what did you do? Why didn't you sit at my feet? God has expectations, and I think we all want to be successful. Amen? So we are challenged, Lord, this year to maybe to set some new resolutions in our life, maybe to be more aggressive when you tug at our heart to share our faith with others, when the doors open, not to shy away from that, not be embarrassed whether they're rejecting us because Jesus said it's not that they're rejecting us, they're rejecting him. And Father, when we see a need and you lay it on our heart that we feel a sense of urgency or pity or concern or compassion, help us not to walk away from that and worry about what's going to happen to us, but maybe respond to that. Think of what we can do with what you've given us. Maybe it can't be money, maybe it just simply is prayer at times. But whatever, let our heart move in those situations. And finally, most of all, let us not neglect with the obligations of life not neglect sitting at your feet and spending time in your presence, just like your son did. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. I know this is a church that wants to follow you. I hear it when we worship. I see the participation, but we want to be there. And if that's you today and you just want some prayer, just lift up your hand. I want to pray with you that we would be better Christ followers, fulfilling the responsibilities that we have as anyone feel that responsibility. I see some hands going up. Lord, you see these hands. Help us as a people to be better Christ followers, to fulfill the responsibilities that we have as a believer now that you accepted us into your family. We want to be children that serve and love you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming today. Happy New Year. Be good. Live out those resolutions. Amen. You may stand and get out of here. All right. <laughs>